two years ago, the dairy industry was heralded as the saviour of the New Zealand economy as returns hit record levels. But a collapse in prices and high debt levels have raised fears that some in the sector are going bust. Economics correspondent Nigel Sterling looks at the fallout for the economy and what sort of industry might be left after the storm passes. Public displays of anger, like this protest by dairy farmers in Brussels, have become a common sight in European capitals this year, as they see returns from milk plummet. There have been no protests here, but the turnaround in the fortunes of dairy farmers from the boom two years ago is stark. This is what people in the sector were saying in 2007. A strong boom is an understatement. It's a huge event for New Zealand. We're actually getting hell of good prices with a very high dollar. The time of the small rural community is here. Our whole economy is based on the dairy industry. If the farmers are doing well, we all do well. But since then, prices for internationally traded dairy products, the sort that New Zealand now depends on for around 20% of export earnings, have fallen by more than half. Westpac economist Doug Steele says the surge in prices was a definite boon to the New Zealand economy and consumers. Dairy farm is obviously the first beneficiary of higher milk prices, but because the Kiwi currency did go up through 80 cents, that means that every dollar in people's pockets right throughout the country can buy more stuff on international markets. What that means is stuff that we import is then cheaper than it would have otherwise been. So sure, consumers were paying a little bit more for their milk and their cheese, but they were paying a lot less for fuel or anything else that we import relative to what would have otherwise been the case. And I'd estimate maybe 2 to $3 billion worth of purchasing power got transferred to the urban consumer because of the dairy boom. The spike in prices led to a worldwide surge in milk production, including in New Zealand, where conversions from sheep and beef farms to dairying boomed. Now, as a result of that surge in supply, combined with the effects of the credit crunch on global demand, Farmers are back under pressure. Fonterra's payout to farmers is expected to fall to $4.55 per kilogram of milk solids from well over $7 two years ago. The Ministry of Agriculture and Forestry expects the average dairy farmer to rack up a loss of $15,000 this season. That will come on top of a loss last season of $60,000 and contrasts sharply with a profit two years ago of $120,000. Lincoln University Professor of Agribusiness, Keith Woodford, says eagerness to cash in on the white gold rush has left farms with high costs, not least the cost of servicing soaring debts. Over the last few years we've seen some good times and farmers have come to think of that as being normal and banks came to think of that as being normal. So we saw a lot of sheep farms converted to dairy farms but perhaps even more importantly, we saw consolidation within existing farms. So most of the farm sales that were going on were existing farmers uh, expanding their area of land, and typically they were doing this with 100% debt. Prices for internationally traded dairy products, while sharply down, are merely back to near their long-term average. But farmers who made the decision to borrow based on what seemed like a permanent step up in prices are finding it tough. Andrew Hoggard in early August is carving on his 280 hectare farm north of Fielding in the Manawatu. 
how old are these calves, Andrew? They're all sort of ranging from, well, 12 hours through to 7 days. And uh, how long will they stay in here? Generally try and keep them in the shed for about 10 or so days. They look pretty happy there, better than yep. being out in the cold. Yep, yep, no, they, they enjoy a nice roof over their head and some shavings and warmth and water and meal and milk. Yeah. Don't miss their mums too much. No, no, they've forgotten about them. I'm their new de facto mum. Mr Hoggo borrowed $250,000 from the bank to upgrade the shed he uses to milk his 510 cows just before prices on world dairy markets turned south. managed to time this really well. We've uh, done a bit of a... Uh, had planned for an upgrade to the farm. We've upgraded the shed, bought more land into production. and So, yeah, it's sort of bit bad timing, but, you know, once you set yourself on a target to um, improve the farm and do things in certain years, you can't really afford to sort of sit back, so we've, we've gone ahead with it. The new shed means one rather than two people for milking and will boost the farm's profitability in the long run. But higher debt, coupled with this season's forecast lower payout, means Andrew Hoggard will not be able to pay all of his interest bill this year. He will cut costs where he can, but in all likelihood the losses he makes this season will be added to the mortgage, adding to the country's dairy debt spiral. Lending to agriculture is up nearly 40% over the past two years alone and continues to outpace lending growth across the economy. This is worrying the Reserve Bank. Its Deputy Governor Grant Spencer issued this warning in May last year. There is a risk there because if dairy prices were to drop then you have a situation where dairy farmers' income falls and their debt service capacity falls at the same time as the value of their land might be falling. So there could be a sort of a double whammy situation. So there is an exposure there. Some have even asked whether lenders' exposure to bad dairy debt is New Zealand's equivalent to the subprime meltdown of the banking system in the United States. Sensitive to such scenarios, the Reserve Bank is in the process of negotiating an increase in the buffer banks must hold against potential losses from rural loans, which it says lenders may have underestimated. Charlie Graham, head of rural lending at the country's largest bank, ANZ National, admits there will be some casualties before prices turn up again and some losses for the banks. Banks make provisions for credit losses, doesn't matter what the industry is. Uh, you Are know, you increasing those provisions? Every industry, you know, we wind up uh, having some losses from time to time and, you know, the farming sector is no different. And inevitably when the economy turns down, then uh, you find you have a run-up in provisions and losses. Mr Graham maintains good farmers won't be cut adrift by their bankers. At a 4.55 payout, you know, you don't need too much debt to start making a, a cash loss. And banks, what they'll be doing is looking to capitalise that loss as we go through the season and ride through the downturn. It's important to keep in mind what the longer-term outlook is and the medium-long-term outlook for dairy products is, is good. You know, if you look at it on that basis, you say, well, OK, the, the long-term fundamentals of the industry are sound. Having said that, there's a number of businesses out there that have got too much debt for a variety of reasons, and they won't survive in the shape or form they're in now. They need to either rationalise various assets, sell down a number of farms, or to reduce debt, or find some other capital. But how the banks handle the big fall in this year's payout will be critical in determining the losses they take on their large bet on dairying. Land values have already fallen around 20% from their peak, but on a low turnover of farms.
Further falls caused by a flood of properties coming onto the market from bank foreclosures would quickly eat into the bank's collateral. Massey University banking lecturer David Tripe. They don't want to have 46 billion of bad debts to try and deal with and the farms associated with that lending. So they don't want huge numbers of farms falling over because the amount of work involved in just dealing with all these situations, the complexity of the processes and the impact it would have on land prices would be very stressful for the banks and for the people working in the banks dealing with the rural portfolios. But even if there was a large-scale sell-up of farms, should the payout fall further, or perhaps because of drought, David Tripe believes the banking system would withstand it. Nor is it likely to lead to a massive restriction of credit elsewhere in the economy. And for that, Dr Tripe says, we have the Australians to thank. One of the things about having banks that are operating across Australasia is that although they may have 10% of their New Zealand portfolios in dairying, when you look at the Australian business, or in the Australasian business as a whole, it's a much smaller proportion of their overall business. It's unlikely to have that major an impact on the Australasian business as a whole. Certainly not the subprime that dairying has been talked about as, as New Zealand's equivalent to the subprime. In terms of aggregate Australian bank portfolios, we're talking about 2 to 3% at the most. That's hardly the sort of scale of problem that the subprime situation generated and no one in their right mind is suggesting that the banks are going to lose every single dollar that they've lent to the dairy sector. But the economy will be hit by the dairy slump in other ways. The fall in Fonterra's payout alone will suck $900 million out of farmers' pockets over the coming year. That will be felt in the provincial towns and cities first. Duncan Baker owns DB Contracting, cutting and wrapping hay and silage for farmers in the Manawatu and employs 13 full-time staff. He says while prices for inputs such as fertiliser and feed were driven up by the dairy boom, the downturn is weakening demand and putting those prices under pressure again. While this will save farmers money, it will hit others in the rural economy. We normally would have replaced two tractors a year. Um, we didn't do it last year and we're not going to do it this year. We're just going to carry them on for uh, an extra couple of years. And, and the likes of some of the smaller gear we will um, basically rebuild and, and run it for another season. And I know for this, the machinery retail outlets we do a lot with, I know they uh, the, the sales are down now. Farmers and those servicing them are not the only ones to have felt the effects of the downturn. Fonterra, which from its 12,000 farmer shareholders processes more than 90% of this country's milk, has also felt the squeeze. Like many of its farmers, Lincoln University's Keith Woodford says the cooperative has a debt problem. It is very important for Fonterra to reduce its debt levels. Just like the whole agribusiness community in New Zealand, Fonterra has structured itself and operated on the basis that the good times were, were going to last and they have debt which was appropriate, perhaps, in uh, earlier years, but in the new world, it's just too high. If it doesn't tackle its debt, Keith Woodford says Fonterra's ability to prosper in the future remains compromised, to the detriment of its farmers and the economy. At its annual meeting last September, Fonterra pledged to get its debt down from 57 to 50% of the cooperative's assets by the end of the season. Year-end accounts due to be published in a couple of months 
are expected to show Fonterra slowly getting on top of the problem. But Keith Woodford believes the cooperative's ownership structure still leaves it vulnerable. Under this structure, farmers must hold shares in Fonterra in relation to the amount of milk they supply. If they choose to leave Fonterra or reduce supply, the cooperative buys the shares back from the farmer at an annually set price. Buying back shares, mainly due to a drought-induced fall in production, cost Fonterra $600 million last year. Keith Woodford warns Fonterra could be significantly weakened if poor prices, or a major competitor setting up on its doorstep, draws milk supply and capital away from the cooperative. The Fonterra structure is great as long as the industry is expanding and as long as Fonterra is maintaining its share of the total market. But as soon as either one of those things changes, then the Fonterra capital structure starts to look not very good at all. If prices stay low, then some farmers will definitely pull their production back. Now, it's in that environment that the Fonterra structure starts to look quite vulnerable and redemption risk really does rear its head. So they've got to do something. The rating agencies are watching and saying, yes, we've got to see that commitment from Fonterra that they're going to do something. But working out just exactly what they're going to do, that's a real challenge. Fonterra's plan two years ago to solve this problem included a listing of some shares on the stock exchange. This way, rather than being paid out of Fonterra's skinny cash reserves, farmers would sell their shares to investors. The proposal wasn't even put to a vote. Such was the concern among farmers at having control of the cooperative wrested away by outsiders. Manawatu farmer Andrew Hoggard sums up farmers' fears. A corporate model, they will only pay what they need to to secure supply away from the cooperative. So if there is no cooperative, they'll only have to pay you enough to stop you walking off the land. And that's not the system we want. We've gone and built up this dairy industry from you know nothing back in the 1890s to this world leader, it would be a huge loss to this country if we let it go away. So you're concerned basically that if corporate owners came in, they'd screw the farmers? Pretty much. If you're an owner of a business, you're looking to minimise your input costs. And to them, milk would be an input cost. And their rationale would be, OK, what's the least price we need to pay to secure this? And that's all they're ever going to pay. It's not a moral issue or, an, or anything like that. It's just how you run a business. You're always looking to minimise your input costs. But cooperatives expert Alan Robb is convinced proposals being currently worked up by Fonterra and due to be released later this year, will include a share market listing. The former Canterbury University accounting lecturer, now an adjunct professor at a Canadian university, says the cooperative has backed itself into a corner. The need to pay everything out has been a false belief. Cooperatives, and successful cooperatives in particular, recognise that a portion of the surplus should be retained in the cooperative to provide a buffer against the poorer years to ensure that the debt-to-equity ratio does not become adverse. And so by building up equity through retained payments, a cooperative becomes stronger. Fonterra has not followed that process since it was formed. In fact, in its first year, it paid out more than the surplus that it made. Other cooperatives work quite differently. They do plough profits back and they become less dependent on borrowing. 
Now, Fonterra's been going the other way, and we're seeing the results of it today. Farmer Andrew Hoggard agrees. He says some of the windfall gains from rocketing commodity prices should have been put to better use by the company. Instead, he believes they fed a bubble in land prices, the gains of which have evaporated with the recent steep fall in farm values. Dairy Board always used to do it and all the old co-ops. It's just been from Fonterra's inception, they've decided they had to pay out everything. Why? And to be honest, though, I don't quite know. They they kept on telling us that meetings is because that's what farmers wanted. I can never actually remember the um, referendum that came round as to saying, what do you want? It probably has been a mistake and they probably should have in the past retained a little bit. But then, of course, we haven't had that up. And apart from the initial year of Fonterra, uh, which was good returns, the preceding four years leading up to um, this last big payout were quite lean. So there probably wasn't that room for retentions then. But certainly in that big year, there could have been a lot more retentions, I think. Alan Robb says farmers he speaks to remain unconvinced that a listing is the answer to the industry's chronic shortage of the investment capital needed for further expansion. They won't be seduced into the idea that the best thing is to become listed on the stock exchange, even partly, because the stock exchange does not assist supplier members in any way. Uh, I think we've seen this with so many companies that have demutualised on the grounds that they need to do that to raise finance. And this doesn't work, that what happens is they get taken over, asset stripped. And if this happened to Fonterra, the farmers would be getting a lower return than operating as a cooperative. But the merger of the two big dairy cooperatives with the Dairy Board in 2001 to form Fonterra did include provision to raise cash from non-farmer investors. Then Prime Minister Helen Clark was convinced by industry leaders that the merger had the potential to transform the payout to farmers and the New Zealand economy. The decision we've made is to bypass the Commerce Commission to uh, give the industry the go-ahead to uh, put the proposal to farmers. This is industry-driven. The government's position has been to ensure the proposal goes forward in the best possible shape it can in the end, it's up to farmers whether they go with it or not. But a former advisor on the dairy industry to the last national government, Tony Baldwin, says this vision of a 30 to $40 billion turnover company to take on international conglomerates like Nestle and Danone has struggled without investment from outsiders. He rejects the suggestion farmers have the financial firepower to back the company's original plan to take on the global food giants. Frontier was established as a platform for growth. The main argument that was put forward for creating Fonterra was that it would be an integrated business that would enable the industry to significantly grow. And the reality is that how much it can grow is governed by the amount of money that its 10,000 supplier shareholders are willing to put in. It's fair to summarise Fonterra's performance over the last decade is making significant gains on improving its efficiency and lowering its cost and improving systems and accountability. But its overall value has remained the same. It hasn't increased its value over the last 10 years. It really can only do that if it can access more capital over time. Tony Baldwin says farmers need guarantees around the price they will be paid for their milk to feel comfortable with outside investors. That's the, the heart of the problem that Frontera faces, and they have to find a way of having a milk price that the suppliers are comfortable with, and also 
setting a dividend for other people to receive, including uh, farmers. But this has proved a difficult problem to overcome. The problem with that is that there isn't actually a market price for milk in New Zealand because there's been monopoly in place for quite some time. So any price that's paid for milk is in effect a formula. And even now, I think Fonterra changed its milk price arrangements last year and there's a 100-page rule book saying how it should be calculated. So it's the fact that there isn't actually a market price for milk which makes it very difficult to establish where the dividing line uh, should be set. Deep division among the industry's leaders, including on Fonterra's own board, has also hindered progress towards a listing. This has blurred the message the industry's leaders give to its farmers on the issue. The communications by Fonterra with its shareholders have been poor over the last decade, in effect failing to explain clearly why there's a need for change, but also providing mechanisms that give confidence to existing shareholders that this is a a sensible and value-enhancing way to move forward. One successful example that a Fonterra board, united around the idea of a listing, could point to is former Irish provincial dairy cooperative Kerry. Listed on the Irish Stock Exchange in the mid-1980s, Kerry is now one of the Irish Republic's largest quoted companies and stands out like a beacon for those pumping up the case for a listing of New Zealand's biggest company. John Tyrrell is the Director-General of the Irish Cooperative Society organisation. He says Irish dairy farmers haven't been screwed by outside shareholders. There are some cooperatives that are paying more than Kerry and there are some cooperatives uh, here that are paying less than Kerry. So Kerry will still be paying a competitive milk price. But the Kerry dairy business is a relatively small part of the total activities. So therefore the outside shareholders are more interested in what is happening in the, in the bigger picture rather than just looking at the dairy activities. And farmers are getting a competitive milk price but they also have the strength of the growth in the share price. Mr Terrell says Kerry used around 200 million euros from investors to develop alternative markets including high value colourings and non-dairy food products. Kerry's original business of producing milk powder and butter fat now makes up less than 10% of its sales. Two thirds of Fonterra's returns still come from these lower valued commodities. These are fed into the supply chains of the big global brands such as Nestle as ingredients used in their own higher value products. Fonterra Chief Executive Andrew Ferrier says he would have no trouble putting extra cash raised from investors to good use. If we had more capital available, we would be able to find synergistic business opportunities to grow the business further. But I don't want to say that's defining at this point in time. We certainly do want an evolution in our capital structure. We would like more capital for growth so that we can take the value of the business and the security of the business for Kiwi farmers a lot further. But, you know, we've been comfortable up till now in working within our own means. We're only getting to the point now where the opportunities might exceed our capital means. Fonterra has been using joint ventures to break into new markets in India and China with partners that have pre-existing brands. The disastrous entanglement with San Lu, which led to the death of four infants from tainted milk formula, highlighted the risk of these partnerships. And Andrew Ferrier says while joint ventures are a cheaper way of establishing Fonterra in these markets, it is far from ideal. Where could we get to? We certainly could broaden the commodity-based business 
but we wouldn't be doing it in a way where we own a lot of the capital involved. We might own smaller percentages of the capital. So you could see revenues grow with limited capital, but also the amount of returns that would be going back to farmers would be relatively limited. If we wanted to materially grow the value-add ingredient business, for example, then you're talking about an acquisition, a step-up in investment, and a step-up in return commensurate with that investment. We could do some of that now. We probably could do more if we had access to more capital. But Mr Ferrier says at the end of the day, it will be up to farmers whether or not they support a listing. And he is confident about the industry's prospects, with or without additional capital for growth. The current economic crunch is an aberration. It will slow demand, but in the food industry, not materially. Generally, food is quite resilient to economic downturns. The principal reason why demand has been slowed in dairy was because, frankly, the price got too high last year, and that reduced demand. And it had to get down to a lower level to reignite demand. Asia, in particular, will take time to recover, but it's not because of the economic situation. It's more because of of the high dairy prices had consumers move away from dairy. When they see attractively priced dairy products, they'll now start coming back in, and those are the signs we're beginning to see. Andrew Waters is one of those positioning himself for a revival in dairy's fortunes. His firm, Fielding-based Ag Invest, puts together investment syndicates to buy farms in Australasia. In the year before the US bank Lehman Brothers collapsed, he took in $75 million from investors. Most was spent on sheep and beef farms and dairy farms in Australia because land here had become too expensive. The collapse in dairy returns has changed that. 75 million represents a, a good year. How much would you take in a typical year before that? 10, 20 million. But in the 12 months, or nearly 12 months since Lehman Brothers, we've raised 35 million. And obviously people are interested to get into lower priced farm assets, so they're seeing cheaper investment opportunities. And Mr Waters is noticing a pick-up in interest from international investors. But this raises a new question. Critics of a flotation of Fonterra worry about the country's largest single foreign exchange earner falling into overseas hands. Could this happen anyway, through a route other than buying into Fonterra? Lincoln University's Keith Woodford thinks New Zealanders' dismal savings record means it could. The typical dairy farm in New Zealand is now sufficiently big that it's sort of pretty questionable to think of it as being a family operation. Do you see the average size increasing every year and the average amount of capital required going up and up and up and you start to say hey the next generation of farms perhaps they're not going to be family owned so where's the capital going to come from and just how much of that is going to come from overseas. So some really big issues there that we need to be thinking about now in terms of policy in terms of the type of farming industry that we want here in New Zealand. It has been the best and the worst of times for dairying over the past three years. A 25% jump in prices at Fonterra's monthly milk price auction two weeks ago raised hopes once again. But who will be in control of the industry to take advantage of the next boom looks less certain. That programme was written and presented by Nigel Sterling. Technical production was by Chris Adams and it was produced by Sue Ingram.